All right, we've been going through a series called Loosing Hope, Unleashing Hope. Uh, loosing Hope is a, a pun on, the, on losing hope, and uh, people just think we spell it wrong, so it kind of worked against us. But, all right, so about 600 years before the time of Jesus, Jerusalem gets destroyed, utterly wiped out, and all of the people living, all of its inhabitants get taken into captivity. Basically, what happens is King Nebuchadnezzar, the Chaldean king of the new Persian empire, uh, comes and... Uh, and it creates this 18-month siege and absolutely devastates Jerusalem, takes it over. Part of uh, his, his strategy in, in conquering people was he would take the inhabitants of it and those who wanted to join in with the Persian Empire, uh, he would have them come and live in Babylon and have them come and get basically integrated into their culture. And so he takes a bunch of the, the Jewish people and brings them back and is trying to basically have them become like Persians, and he, and, and, and he develops them into the culture of his own empire. Uh, at this time, for the Jewish people, it's a very devastating time. Obviously, you just go through this horrible siege, this 18-month siege, so physically you're devastated, you're exhausted, you're probably starving, you've seen family members just killed and murdered, and then physically it takes a huge toll on you to go through a siege like that. Psychologically, as a people, as a nation, it's absolutely devastating because Jerusalem is the promised land. Your history is all about God delivering you from these foreign oppressors uh, in Egypt, coming out of Egypt, stop, when you stop being slaves, coming into this new land that you've been promised that you inhabit. Psychologically, it's absolutely devastating for the Jewish people. And then theologically, it completely uh, causes this huge crisis of faith with their people because Everything about your theology says that God has established you in this place, in this city, in this kingdom, and he's provided it for you, and so it's safe, and it's secure, and you're very comfortable in it. And even though you've had all of these people warning you that this whole thing could collapse at any minute, you've ignored that, and you believe that God has established you here in Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, everything just falls apart. Your world is absolutely devastated, turned upside down. So this is the setting that this book, Lamentations, is written in. There's this prophet named Jeremiah who, uh, as the Jewish people get taken into captivity, is trying to basically convey what those people are going through. When you have your dreams shattered, when you have your world turned upside down, when everything that you think is secure gets taken from you. And then Jeremiah, this prophet, writes these five poems. The five poems are called Lamentations. Uh, these are the words of Jeremiah, who knows that uh, even in the, the midst of the turmoil that his, his people are going through, uh, he tries to communicate something. And like T.S. Eliot says, poetry has this way of communicating even before it's understood. So this, these five poems that Jeremiah writes become basically like this unbelievably foundational thing that the, the Jewish people rally around. The lamentations are them lamenting and crying out to God for what has happened. And for these Jewish people, these become their prayers, their hopes, their basically uh, everything about their current situation. They're able to just come to God with these lamentations and, and, and cry out to God and trust that he hears him. And so the purpose of these poems, the first purpose of lamentations is to basically express grief. And as the, the verses that we just read, these people are, are grieving the loss of their city, the loss of their home, and the fall of Jerusalem. There's a psychological aspect that they have to grieve what they've lost when everything falls apart around them. 
There's this healthy grief that comes out in these lamentations. Uh, the second purpose of this poem, of these poems, is to remind us, remind God's people that we live in a broken world. And so as even we read through Lamentations, there's this being in touch with reality that the world that we live in is not right. That the world that we live in, um, there's consequences for, uh, for, for bad choices. There's consequences for the world that we live in. So they're in touch with this brokenness. And so there's this liturgical piece of them coming together and confessing basically our state of brokenness as a people. And so this becomes very meaningful to them as they lament to God. They're, they're expressing their grief, but they're also being in touch with the brokenness. And there's this liturgical piece that when they would gather in places like this, they would read through these poems together and understand the, the, the reality of the world that they live in. And then the third purpose of, of these poems that Jeremiah writes is to renew hope for the survivors. So there's, there's this theological aspect to the poems that say, you know, this has happened to us, but God is with us in the midst of our suffering. And when we cry out to him, he hears us. And our story of this small tribe of people that once were slaves in Egypt is that we cried out to him and we remember that he delivered us in the midst of that slavery. And now that we're back in captivity, we cry out again. So there's this theological piece of we're renewing hope because of what God has done. So there's this grief, there's this in touch with brokenness, and then there's this renewed hope. This, uh, this month we've been talking about hope. Everything that we've kind of been looking at on Sunday morning has to do with this issue of hope. As followers of Jesus, as a new people, we are people of hope. And so week one, we talked about how no one is beyond hope in our world. And that hope is needed. Hope is needed for me. It's needed for you. It's needed for our community. Hope is needed. So we read through the story of uh, of I can't even pronounce his name. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was this great grandson of, of of King Saul. And when David comes to the throne, King David and Saul is uh, basically his family is in exile and they're running because they're not sure what David's going to do with it. And then David comes and he reconciles with this grandson, brings him into the fold and restores his life. And so we talked about how the goodness of the king is more powerful than our past circumstances. The goodness of the king is more powerful than anything that we go through. And in Jesus, the son of David, we have that same experience. Like hope is needed, and we proclaim hope in this community. And then the second week, we talked about how hope is found in Jesus. Hope is found in Christ, and when we seek Christ, we find hope. And then when we inhabit the teachings of Jesus, when we live them out, the world finds hope. So there's hope needed and there's hope found. And then this week, I want to talk about hope being renewed in our lives. Hope being renewed. And this is hard to do when you've gone through something like the people have gone through when Jerusalem gets stolen from them. When your whole world crashes around, down around you, when your dreams are broken, when your expectations are aren't met, to renew hope that God has something great in the midst of the turmoil, to renew hope. So we look at this passage in Lamentations because it's about this idea of renewing hope for people who've been devastated. And I think that there's this theme that happens in Lamentations with them going through devastation into grief, into being in touch with their brokenness, into hope. 
The same thing that's happening really in our world, if you look at kind of the narrative of Scripture, uh, the world has been broken and uh, something devastating has happened. The world isn't right. And then in the midst of that, we have this Savior, Jesus, who comes into the story and basically is bringing redemption and restoration and healing for the world that's been broken. So there's this huge narrative that happens throughout Scripture that also happens in Lamentations. It's the same narrative that happens in all of our hearts and our souls. We're not as we should be. Something has happened, and, uh, and, and there's a brokenness that we all deal with. Something has caused us to not be as we should. And so we, we grieve, and we are in touch with our brokenness, and we come to this reality, this confession of this is who we are. And then through that, we start to find hope, and hope is renewed. And in this Lamentations, as we read through it, what we find is this hope being renewed over and over. It's a very kind of dark and depressing poem, and yet there's these redemptive edges in it. So in in the midst of the third poem in chapter 3, what we find are these words in Lamentations. It says, yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope, because the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. And I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. So this poem, Lamentations, everything kind of pivots where Jeremiah is talking about the grief and he's talking about the despair and he's talking about the brokenness. And then all of a sudden this hope starts to be renewed with these words. He says, yet I call this to mind. Hope is, starts to be, hope is renewed when we start to replace our negative circumstances with God's faithfulness. Renewed hope comes when we're able to stop just looking around at what our current situation is and then being reminded instead what God has done in our life and what God has done throughout history. In the words of Jeremiah, he says, he says that hope, yeah, I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. And then he starts talking about God's great love and his compassions that never fail. I call this to mind what God has done. This is uh, something that I have to put into practice every single day because I am, uh, by nature, a very cynical person, and I'm very skeptical. And so if you ask Marcy, she always hears my fears and my doubts and my cynicism. So I call myself kind of a recovering cynic. Um, And a lot of that has happened because of disappointment in my own life, which usually causes you to become cynical and bitter. And so one of the things that I've kind of learned to do with my cynicism is when I start to go and and look at the negative things that are happening in my life to combat that with what God has actually done in my life and to look at his scripture about his great love for all of us. And when I'm able to replace my negative circumstances with God's faithfulness to me, hope starts to come back into my life. So I can reflect on my negative circumstances or I can reflect on what God has done. I love hiking, and it's a good thing because we live in Phoenix, so it's, a, it, it's hard to live anywhere where there's no mountains for me. Because I feel like when I'm able to hike and when I'm able to kind of get away from the city, I'm able to get away from my circumstances and, and just focus on what God has done. One of my favorite places to hike here in Phoenix is Shaw Butte. Shaw Butte's in the North Mountain, in the North Phoenix Mountain Preserve. And there's this trail that as you go up North Mountain, um, I grew up in North Phoenix. I'm a North Phoenix kid. I go up this trail, and I can look out, and it's, there's like this timeline of my life as I get up on this mountain. I can look out. I can see the, the building where I went to elementary school. I can see where I went to junior high and high school. 
I can see the baseball fields that I grew up playing uh, when I was younger. I can see the churches that I was involved in that were so instrumental in shaping my faith. When I get up on that mountain, something special happens where it's like I'm elevated above whatever my circumstances are, and I'm able to look out at the city and be reminded of the life that I've had. And I'm able to kind of scale back a little bit and just see where God has been with me and his faithfulness has been with me uh, throughout my life. And I, I realize I'm a pretty, uh, had a pretty good life. I've been pretty, pretty spoiled. So I get to this place where I can replace whatever my circumstances are with God's faithfulness. I think all of us are able to do that when we look back where God has been and we start to understand everything uh, that we've gone through only once we're able to remove ourselves from a situation. It's like waking up from a dream. And this is what Jeremiah says. He says, yet I call this to, m- to mind. This is what God has done because of his great love, because of his compassion. Renewed hope comes when we replace whatever circumstances we're in now uh, that feels devastating with what God has done. For the Jewish people, these lamentations for them, replacing the devastation of Jerusalem with, but God's been with us through these kind of situations before. This passage in Lamentations goes on and reminds us that renewed hope comes when we replace our past failures with the newness of each day. We replace the past failures with the newness of each day. Lamentations uh, says this, when it talks about these great mercy, this great compassion, it says, they're new every single morning. They're new every morning. This is the message of Jesus. We get a brand new start every single day. There's in Christ this idea that we are a new creation. And so we can dwell on the past, on the failures, on the mistakes that we've made, or we can replace that with, I have this new life in Christ, and I can wake up every single day with this clean slate, ready to start again. So for the Jewish people, this, uh, as they use these lamentations, and they come in touch with the reality of their own brokenness, they have this kind of corporate time of, of confession, of we've made these mistakes, and these things have been done to us by other people, and this is why we're in the situation that we're in, but the Lord's mercies are new every morning. His compassion is new every morning. This liturgical piece of this lamentation to come and say, I'm in touch with my brokenness, but that's the past. The the mistakes I've made are now behind me, and I have this new slate in front of me every morning. Even as a a church community, uh, when we come together, um, this idea of confession sounds kind of so, you know, so churchy. Like, why would we want to do that? That sounds like puts me in touch with my sin and how evil and this horrible person I am. But really what we're doing is when we go through this time of confession, when we take these past failures and these past mistakes, we own up to them. And then we leave them behind and we move forward. We replace the past failures with the newness of every morning. So confession is this thing that's actually really healthy for us because we're owning up to the reality of our brokenness and then moving forward. We do this every, every week as we come to communion. We examine ourselves and say, this is what the brokenness is. This is where I've messed up. But in Christ, uh, I start a new day. And then the third thing that renewal, renewed hope comes when we replace striving 
uh, toward production with simply abiding. We replace striving toward production with simply abiding. I love this phrase that happens in Lamentations. It says uh, that the Lord is my portion. We go to the next slide. The Lord is my, my portion. I will wait for him. Uh, instead of trying to make things happen on our own, trusting and waiting on the Lord, something that's difficult to do, especially in difficult circumstances where our world's fallen apart, where our dreams have crashed, to wait on the Lord, to abide in him, to know that all that we need is him and that's enough. John chapter 15 talks about this idea of abiding. And Jesus actually says, apart from this, apart from abiding in me, you can do no other thing. So if there's anything that we get right in life, it's simply abiding and saying, the Lord is my portion. I will wait for him. Over the last couple of years, uh, as I've you know, kind of grown up and matured and gone through challenges um, and have had things not go my way and things taken from me and things that have disappointed me, there's been places where I feel like everything's been kind of stripped down in my life as a, as a professional to the point that I felt like a complete failure. And being able to kind of be in those moments of devastation where it feels like everything's falling apart and to not put basically my self-worth in what I do and put my self-worth in my own production, but to simply put my self-worth in what God has done for me to abide and to rest in him um, has been something that I've learned over the last few years. And it's hard, especially for pastors, because we're people pleasers and we want to look like we're succeeding in what we do. We want people to praise us. But to simply say, I'm living my life for God, first and foremost. I abide in him, and that's where I find my my worth, not in just what I produce, but in what he has done for me. Sometimes we have to go through absolutely devastating situations to learn those hard lessons, uh, that we truly have our self-worth in Christ and in him alone. So as we read through these lamentations, hope starts to come forth in our life. It starts to be renewed. It starts to be something that we can trust in as we abide in Christ. And uh, today, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know uh, what circumstance you're in right now that could be absolutely negative. I don't know what things that have fallen apart in your life that you need to just grieve and get out and just put kind of uh, name names to it, identify it. I don't know what kind of mistakes that you're carrying where you feel guilty and you just need to come and own, own it up and confess it. I don't know maybe that you're, you're striving and you're trying to you're trying to get out of your circumstance uh, on your own, and, and, and you just need to come and abide. I don't know what you're going through today, um, but my hope is that in your life, wherever you're at, hope would be renewed. Um, that hope would be something that comes in, that God would fill your soul and say, I have a great plan for you, and I have a great plan for you to do something significant with your life. Whatever it is, my hope today is that that hope would be renewed. Um, and so uh, Matt's going to come up, and we're going to just spend some time reflecting. And as we kind of read through this, uh, this verse in, in Lamentations, uh, Lamentations was created for people who have no hope. It was created for people who've been devastated. It was created for a community of people um, who feel like they've been abandoned. We're going through absolutely difficult times. 
but God is able to hear our laments, hear our cries, be with us in the grief, be with us in the brokenness, and to take that and to start to uh, shape us into the kind of person that he wants us to be to do something significant with our life. And so today, we examine ourselves. Today, we confess. Today, we are in touch with our brokenness. We grieve. And we allow God to replace all of those things with this renewed hope. So as we sing the song, and as we move to communion, let's examine ourselves. And then when you're ready, the communion is set over here. The body represents the blood, or the body represent, bread represents the body of Christ, which is broken, open for us. The juice represents the blood that's poured out for us. We believe that all of the brokenness of the world is healed through the brokenness of Christ on the cross. And so as we take it, we reflect what God did for us through Jesus, and we find hope that in his brokenness, our brokenness is putting back together. So as you uh, are ready, you can move towards communion and just take it on your own today to examine yourself um, and to find renewed hope in your life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for loving us. Lord, as we looked at these words of Jeremiah, I pray that we'd find hope. We see that your people who have gone through absolute terrible times where they've been devastated, where they've been sent into exile, and all that they've had left is you and found that that was enough. Let us be the same way, Lord. Let us know that in the midst of our circumstances, that you are with us. Let us start to have hope renewed in our soul. That we could be a certain kind of people um, that live lives of significance. That we could be the kind of people that share hope with the community. So Lord, I pray that you would awaken something in us today, that you would activate this hope. That you would stir in our hearts. This powerful force of hope, Lord. We love you so much. We give you this time. In your son's name we pray. Amen.